Good morning, Summit Church. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I just I just pray God's best blessings over each of you this week as you enjoy the holiday. If you're traveling, bless you in your travels. If you're alone, I pray that uh, you'll have opportunity just to draw closer to Christ during this week. I'm in 1 John chapter 3 today, starting with verse 10. Didn't expect to start with verse 10, but... Um, Boy, it truly is a key verse for last week's teaching and this week's teaching. So we'll begin there. God's DNA, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Our goal for this morning is about taking love beyond an idea to an action, to a reality. Our key verse, verse 10, let's start there. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So we see a distinguishing factor right here. No, no third option. Either we're of God or we're of something else. If you have trouble with this, you can't take it up with me because I'm just reading the Word of God here. So you can take it up with Him. But John is writing out of concern because people are walking away from the church. The people in the church are getting discouraged. They're getting their eyes off of Christ. He's encouraging them and helping them reset, helping them to reset their focus. Need to point out again, Satan is presented as a literal figure. So children of God or children of the devil, the distinguishing factor, here we go. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. You know, the first epistle of the Apostle John has been described as being a sort of spiral staircase in the sense that it keeps coming around again and again to some foundational truths, three foundational truths in fact, which include love, obedience, and truth. But John's repetition never gets old nor does it uh, get mundane because John's looking at these ideas from different angles continuously and he's constantly digging into them deeper and deeper. For example, last week we talked about doing what's right. This week we're talking about loving our brother. Several weeks ago we talked about loving our brother, but it was in the sense of fellowship. It was about walking in the light. Today we're talking about loving our brother, but it has to do with practical aspects of showing the love we profess. John's talking to us strongly and candidly about living godly lives. He's very clear that our knowledge and love for God will be best seen in two things, obedience, largely rooted in faith in Christ, and love, love for one another. But when it comes to love, last week we talked about obedience, this week we talked about love, uh, we don't just talk about it, we demonstrate it with a willingness to share with one another what we have and to care for one another, meeting one another's needs. And we're talking about sincere needs here. If we know and love Jesus, we will live in love like Jesus did. Now let's move on to new territory in our text. And I've given some subheadings here, the first of which is Cain equals worldliness as in Cain and Abel. Cain equals worldliness. We'll see that in verse 12, but I need to work a little bit on verse 11. So let's look at it. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. All right, foundational truths. 
To understand scripture is to understand the call to all who will hear to surrender to Jesus Christ as God and King. But to understand what it means to surrender to Jesus as King is to understand there's only one way to demonstrate the faith we profess, and that is love one another. Jesus' one command, I have a whole teaching I like to do, that carries us from John 14 to John 15, where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my command. And what is his command? Love one another. Now, you might want to protest and say, well, Jesus highlighted the two great commands. And, you know, you'd be right. I mean, the first command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. However, there's only one practical way to demonstrate this love with any kind of real evidence. By our love with one another. Putting your faith in Christ is about loving God, but loving one another is the practical manifestation of that relationship. Okay, now we get to this thing, Cain equals worldliness, verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let me catch us all up here just in case we're not familiar with the story. After Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they were banished from God's presence. They were banished from the Garden of Eden. They went from there and they had many, many children. The first two of whom were Cain and Abel. This is whom we're talking about today. The first man ever to die in human history was... was uh, a man murdered by his own brother, the first two children on record. Both of them were worshipers, but one, the one murdered was a man after God's heart, while the murderer was, and get this term, he was a religious man seeking his own glory. And as a result, he ended up taking offense that his brother's offering was better and ended up killing his brother. Well, prior to that murder, God says that Cain's actions were evil. How, how were his actions evil? All right. Well, uh, Cain gives his offering, um, and uh, God doesn't accept it, so now Cain is angry. And so God uh, sees this, and he says to him in Genesis 4, Do what is right, and you will be accepted. So it poses the question, what exactly did Cain do wrong? Well, we get an image of it over in Hebrews chapter 11, where we find God accepting the reason God accepted Abel's offering. And it says there, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Did you catch the distinguishing factor? By faith. All right, it goes on. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks today, even though he is dead. So three times the distinguishing factor is emphasized in Hebrews 11 in this verse. And it says, King or Abel continues to speak today from the grave. And he's still speaking now, even while we address this. And what is he saying? Simply this, faith is what made the difference. Abel's offering, his sacrifice, his act of worship was accepted because his heart was in the right place. Faith, while Cain's sacrifice was rejected because his heart was not 
was not of faith. Cain's actions were religious action. Look what I'm doing for you, God. Aren't I something? Abel's actions reflected faith in a promise that God had given earlier of the promised Messiah. Okay, so right here I want to ask two questions. First question, why were Cain and Abel bringing sacrifices to God in the first place? And secondly, what kind of sacrifice would God require? You know, the Bible's an amazing book. Let's just talk about that for a minute. It's composed of 66 books written by some 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years, yet it focuses on one primary theme, the cross of Christ, the redemption of humankind, the blood of Christ as a covering for our sins. Covering is going to become an important word here. The Old Testament looks forward to Christ's coming, while the New Testament looks back on Christ's coming. The very first prophecy about Christ coming appears in the history of Adam and Eve. Okay, when God issues the curse to Satan, part of it is this prophecy. This is Genesis 3.15 where he says this, I will put enmity, conflict, between you and the woman and between your offspring, children of the devil, and hers, children of God. And watch this. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God's saying right there, Satan, you're going to have your moment with Christ, but what you need to understand is ultimately Christ is going to destroy you. Well, right after God issued these um, these curses uh, because of the fall, the first death in all creation occurs. So now we see one murder, first murder, and now we see the first death. God killed an animal in order to provide proper covering, clothes, for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had made a vain attempt to cover themselves by sewing fig leaves together when they became aware of their nakedness because of their sin. But God provided an appropriate covering. And this brings out a very important biblical concept. God stated to Adam and Eve, or to Adam specifically, when he said to him, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. Now we see Adam and Eve did eat from the fruit. They will be separated from God, and now death becomes a reality in history. They need the covering that God would provide the blood that Jesus would shed on the cross. Not just human effort, not just fig leaves, but they needed a blood sacrifice. And the blood sacrifices that we see from here on out point forward to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would make by shedding his own blood on the cross. That is the ultimate covering. Now, this will eventually lead to Passover, where we see the children of Israel being rescued from the death spirit again. This will eventually lead to temple sacrifices, tabernacle sacrifices, where animals, an animal's blood will be spilled for the people's sins. But all of this was meant only to look forward to the ultimate cover, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So back to our first question. Why were Cain and Abel bringing a sacrifice to God in the first place? The answer, now that sin is a reality, a reality they needed a covering. 
but will it be a vain human effort or will it be an act of faith, thus worship, in the covering that God would provide? Second question, what type of sacrifice would God require? The Bible's clear on this. Hebrews 9.22 sums it up when it says, The law, that's God's law, requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no canceling of the penalty, no remission of sin. Somehow, Cain and Abel understood this principle. What kind of sacrifice did Abel bring? Well, if you look at it in Genesis 4.4, he brought fatty portions from a firstborn animal. In other words, he brought the first and best, but there's something more important going on here. He brought an offering that reflected shedding blood. He brought the offering God required. His offering was a statement of faith suggesting he believed God would one day send the promised Savior. Now, compare that with Cain's offering. What did he bring? Genesis 4.3. In the course of time, Cain brought some, not the first and the best, just some, of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain here is disregarding the faith aspect of his worship and insisting on worshiping God his own way. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Cain's offering wasn't an offering of faith in Christ. It was a vain attempt to make a covering out of fig leaves. <laughs> you know, good works, my own good works. His sacrifice had everything to do with exalting himself, which is rooted in pride, like, look what I'm doing for you, God, as if we can do anything for God. Isn't this a great offering? <laughs> my dog's better than your dog. My dog's better than yours. My dog's better because he gets kennel ration. My dog's better than yours. And then we learn later that kennel ration isn't any better for your dog than anything else. Okay, so vain attempts. So what about you? Will you come to God with your leftovers? What about you? Will you refuse to consider what it is that God is asking of you because you insist on worshiping God your own way? What about you? Will you make vain attempts to provide your own covering? What about you? Will you reject the covering God provided for you by what Christ did for you on the cross, instead insisting that your own best efforts are good enough? Remember, this was written for those putting their faith in Christ. This was written for you. So when you see people walking away from the faith, walking away from the church, you need to be reminded that rather than arguing your own goodness before God, you're clinging to the covering Christ provided on the cross. And to think you're good enough, that you don't need the church, that you can do it on your own, you can do it without Christ, is literally to spit in Christ's face, essentially saying, I don't need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, I'm good enough, and any God so narrow that he can't see that must be a really cruel God. Where does that lead? It leads to hatred toward people of the faith. And that's what's going on with Cain and Abel. It's the spirit of Cain. And we are commanded not to be like him. Cain represents Satan's seed, destruction. Abel represents God's seed. And in that is persecution. Wow. That leads us to the second point here. And that is world equals hate. Okay, verse 13. Let's go on. 
Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Let's stop right there a moment. The emphasis here is this. In God's economy, hate equals death. How can that be? How can hate be equal to death? Because the only difference, here's the reason, the only difference between level one and level two is acting out what you're feeling in your heart. The question isn't what did you do, but would you, what would you have done if you could have fulfilled your desire? What would you have done if you had absolute liberty to act? So, so hate and murder are equal. And then he goes on, and you know that no murderer has life in him. Now that statement doesn't mean that there's no hope for a murderer. Okay, remember, the Apostle Paul was there killing Christians, and God got a hold of his heart. But it's to those people in the church who are going around carrying hatred, uh, carrying conflict, offenses in their heart, claiming to be believers. And he's saying that's not a characteristic of a believer. The first big brother in history killed the first second child, and it was over a faith issue. So should those of us choosing to follow Christ be surprised if the world hates us for that very reason? We are a type of Cain and Abel, but we must understand that ultimately all unjust anger is aimed at God because someone's thinking in their heart, God's not fair to me, God isn't doing the way I think he should, and on and on they go. Why doesn't God accept my sacrifice? Now, can I be really honest with you here? <laughs> you know, by nature, I, I'm a leader. But uh, uh, if you understand the DISC profile, I tend to be more of an influencing type leader than a dominant type leader. As an influencer, I want people to like me. I like to keep everybody happy, you know, crying out, somebody loves me. <laughs> um, dominant leaders just don't care. I mean, they're always right, and, uh, and they don't care what you think. Well, one of the problems with me being an influencer in the church is you always have those dominant personalities that want to point to the scripture and say, will you be a God pleaser or a man pleaser? Well, I can't help the way I'm wired, but the evidence is that the Holy Spirit's at work in my life includes things like this. When I stand for God at the risk of someone rejecting me, when I tell somebody no at the risk of, of uh, offending people, when, when I preach the truth at the risk of people leaving my church or our church, and what I need to understand is some rejection Often rejection isn't rooted or aimed at me, but it's aimed at God. <laughs> yeah, they're rejecting God, not me. So rather than me having a pity party, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go eat worms, I need to pray for them and grieve for their souls, but I also need to recognize that it's the Spirit of Christ working in me that's causing me to love, that's causing me to focus on Christ, and is giving me assurance of my eternal destiny. This was not written so we could shout at the world, look how horrible you are. It was written so the church would continue with their eyes on Jesus, continue in love, yet be ready for opposition, persecution. If they'll crucify Christ, don't think they'll treat you any different. And often it's going to come from a religious system that says, 
Uh, we'll just do the world a favor and get rid of you. It's somehow we close our eyes in the American church, and we want to believe that this was once a Christian nation, and we can't understand why they make us put away our manger scenes. <laughs> this place will never be right until Jesus is properly seated on his throne. You better believe it. This takes us to our third movement here today. And I got this wrong in the note guide, so you might want to correct it. It says hate equals difference. I want to correct that to say Christ equals difference. Huge difference right there. So we'll pick it up in verse 16. But the word difference that I'm using here is an archaic use of the word, which means set apart. Okay, that Christ means set apart. All right, verse 16, here we go. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. There's a definition. How about a definition of love? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We will never understand love. We will never get a proper understanding of love from the world. We will only get a proper understanding of love by looking at Jesus who laid down his life. It goes on, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. <laughs> there you go. That is the definition of what God expects. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue. You can put the word alone there because words and tongue have a value, right? But let's take it further. With actions and truth, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Interesting. Hearts condemn us. So the Greek word Kata uh, gnosko. I talk about gnosko quite a bit around here because it's to know experientially. But the word kata added to it means against. So what it's talking about here is self-judgment. <laughs> Am I the only one or is there anybody else around here that's kind of hard on yourself? Am I the only one or does anybody else ever feel unworthy of love or to be called a Christian? Am I the only one or are there others here who mess up? Well, John is saying that if your heart condemns you, one of the ways to encourage your heart toward peace is to consider the way you love God's people and let that love serve you as an affirmation so you can have peace. In fact, the next time you find yourself beating yourself up, why not walk away from your pity party, go, somewhat, go find someone who has a legitimate need and meet their need. <laughs> You'll be more joyful and at peace when you're doing things for others. I can want to keep reading this text, partway through verse 20 here. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Interesting. So first he says, if our hearts condemn us, consider our love. But then he says, if our hearts do not condemn us, right, then our prayers will be answered. What's going on here? Well, what he's saying is, okay, there's a tendency of our hearts to condemn us. At that point, we consider the amazing love that God's put in our heart for his people. <laughs> we act on that. And so we're affirmed. And if at that point we're affirmed, then we can know that our prayers will be answered. Amen. Because a heart at peace is a heart that God hears. Verse 23. And this is his command to believe. Here we go. Here's the basics now. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And remember, believe means to allow him proper position in your life. You're not doing whatever you want to do, right? Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. 
referring to all those times that Jesus taught, this is what I want from you, love each other. Verse 24, those who obey his commands live in him and he in them, awesome, and this is how we know that he lives in us, we know it by the spirit he gave us. Wow. So in faith in Christ, in loving one another, the Holy Spirit is speaking affirmations into the life of the believer. This is about abiding. This is about a vertical connectedness that has horizontal effects. The greatest expression of faith is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as God and King, and in so doing, to receive the precious gift of eternal life. It's about full surrender. But the greatest demonstration of the faith we profess is seen in our love for one another. Now, consider this. And yet, we carry offense in our heart toward others? Friend, that's the spirit of Cain. Cain couldn't love. He, he couldn't handle anybody else possibly getting one up on him. Look at verse 21. Again, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. We need to love. This business of holding on to offense is messing up our worship. It's messing up the church. It's messing up what God wants to do in our lives. There are at least three things that should affirm us. One, knowing that the capacity to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and to surrender to him is a miracle of God. Two, the reality of loving beyond our natural ability. And third, the Holy Spirit's affirmation. But if our hearts are still condemning us, what do we need to do? Ask yourself, am I holding on to offense? Am I, like Cain, unhappy that someone seems to have one up on me? Or I wasn't given a fair shake? Or, or I don't like the way God's doing things? Or holding on to a grudge? Or finding a fault? Or something else? Listen, that's a dangerous place to be. It's a place where prayers will not be answered. It's a place we have to wonder if we're even Christians at all. Because in God's DNA is the miracle of love. Let's pray. Oh God, how I need to change to be like you. Oh, I want to lay down my life for others. But I keep picking it up again. In fact, I hold offense to keep putting others down so I can pick myself up. Oh, I lay me down for others. Lord, take your proper place on the throne of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. I repent of self and I turn to you. Hear my prayer today in Jesus' name.